You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. Okay. Imagine it's the late 19th century. You're a young man with not much of an education and maybe even a checkered past. You have recently arrived in northern New Brunswick and have managed to find work as a lumberjack. It's a hard job, dangerous, and it pays a pittance, but you're happy for the work. Besides, the food isn't half bad, and some of the guys are actually good company. One stormy night you're sitting in the mess, having just finished supper, when you hear a terrifying howl outside. You look around nervously and see that quite a few others are just as unnerved as you are. What was that, you ask? One of the old-timers meets your eye. That was the Hooper, he explains. He's often heard around these parts. The strange noise comes a second time, and a hush falls over the room. After a moment, you speak again. What's a Hooper? You're listening to Fireside Canada, my podcast about Canadian legends, lies, and lore. I'm David Williams. Tonight, we'll take a trip through the old logging camps of northern New Brunswick and hear a number of tales with one thing in common, a sound, a hoop to be precise, spelled W-H-O-O-P, that some people say still echoes through a very particular area of the New Brunswick wilderness. Now, if you're from New Brunswick or just familiar with Canadian folklore, you might be surprised to hear there's more than one story. It's true that, today, one of these tales is counted among the province's most celebrated ghost stories, but the others, originally told in the late 1800s, are mostly forgotten. Tonight, we're bringing them back. Every single one is great for the campfire, especially late at night amid the tall trees and dark shadows of a Canadian forest. These stories are also firmly connected to the region, and being homegrown, their roots go a little deeper than most, with curious and colorful connections to history, to the lore and culture of the 19th century lumber camps, and to the natural world, to mysterious and potentially mythical creatures that may still stalk the forests of the region. These are the legends of the Dungarvan Hooper. Chapter 1. A Cook Named Ryan You've never heard of the Dungarvan Hooper? The old man raises his eyebrows. You shake your head no. His face darkens, and the rest of the crew lean in to listen as the old man tells you the tale. It was years ago, in a logging camp just like this one, not so far from here, a bit further down the river. A new cook by the name of Ryan had recently come to camp. Being new, He didn't have a lot of time to make a lasting impression, but there were a few qualities that stood out. First, he was rather young, and though friendly enough, he mostly kept to himself. Second, he was a talented cook. He had a way of curing and grilling back bacon that had the entire crew salivating before breakfast hit the table. Third, he had the loudest voice in the camp, by far. Now, 
By their very nature, lumberjacks are a competitive bunch who constantly engage in tests of strength and skill. Being a cook, Ryan couldn't compete with the choppers in strength or the teamsters in endurance, but he had a set of lungs that put all of them to shame. It was said that when Ryan cupped his hands to the sides of his mouth and really leaned into it, his voice could be heard from here to Blackville, and he used those ear-shattering hoops and hollers to rouse the crew in the morning and call them in for meals. Lastly, and perhaps most importantly, he wore a money belt that he never took off, and according to those who caught a glimpse of it, it seemed that young Ryan was carrying a small fortune around his waist. It was strange to see a man as young as he with so much cash on hand, and stranger still that a man of his apparent means would be working in a logging camp of all places, a place known to attract mostly desperate, transient men who were willing to live in rough conditions and perform back-breaking work for what was, by all accounts, terrible pay. In short, Ryan was a mystery, and that mystery would follow him in both life and death. One day, the men returned from the forest and found Ryan dead. There were no marks on the body, no signs of a struggle, nothing really suspicious or out of the ordinary, except for one thing. His money belt was missing. There was only one other person who would have been in camp at the time of Ryan's death, and that was the camp boss but he claimed to be as confused as everyone else. There was nothing I could have done, the boss told the others. Ryan was complaining earlier about how he felt sick. I came to check on him and he was already gone. Some of the men pressed him. Why didn't he call for help when he found the body? And where was the money belt? It all happened so quick, he said, that he didn't have time or the presence of thought to call for anyone. Besides, it didn't really matter. The man was stone-cold dead when he found him. As for the money belt, he didn't know a thing about it. Maybe a wild animal ran off with it. The others were skeptical, but what could they do? There was no evidence of foul play aside from the missing belt, and it was the dead of winter. Few would be willing to trudge back to town unless there was some clear danger to their lives. It was easier to believe the boss. Ryan had fallen ill and suddenly died. So they gave in and did as the boss said. Some of them started cooking supper, while others set about the unhappy task of burying the young cook. Now, like I said, this was the middle of winter, and so the ground was frozen solid. Even with a roaring fire built on the spot and left to burn all night, you'd be lucky if you could dig deeper than 10 or 12 inches at most. And so, already exhausted from a long day of work, the men buried the cook in a shallow grave near a little spring just outside of camp. Daylight was fading fast, and they could smell that supper was almost ready, so they left quickly. No words, no prayers, not even a marker. The poor kid, murdered for his money and left to rot in a shallow grave without ceremony. Too many indignities for one soul to bear. They say a terrible storm hit the camp that night, similar to tonight, and as the men sat in the bunkhouse, they heard a terrible, human-like scream, a whooping of sorts, 
that shrieked louder than the howling winds outside. It came again and again, each time louder and louder, and it came from the section of woods where Ryan was buried. Can you imagine? Every single man in that camp, a rough and rugged lumberjack, fearless in any normal circumstance, shrunk as small as they could at the sound of each bone-chilling shriek. They were absolutely terrified because they knew that it was the ghost of young Ryan, somewhere out in that darkness, screaming for his revenge. You can be sure that none of them got a wink of sleep that night, especially the camp boss who, if he knew what was good for him, would have tossed that money belt out the window and begged the phantom for forgiveness. The entire camp was abandoned by sunrise. Every single man, nerves threadbare from the terrors of the night, had left before first light. Evidently, they decided it was better to take their chances in the snow and the darkness than stay one more minute in that cursed place. And there it sits to this day, empty and abandoned, a ways inland from the Dungarvan River, beside that little spring that serves as the only marker for Ryan's final resting place, if you want to call that rest. Few men here, or for that matter, anywhere in the Miramichi, would dare step foot in that camp. It belongs to the Hooper now, and those who have ventured too closely swear that they've heard his screams in the dark. The ghost of Ryan has never been seen, but he's often heard wandering the woods after sunset, letting out blood-chilling hoops and hollers that have terrified hunters, anglers, and loggers for years. And I guess he'll keep on doing it, until his spirit is finally put to rest, or he finally gets his revenge. Chapter 2 The Scaler, the Spaniard, and the Cook A few years pass. As you get more experience traversing swamps, chopping trees, and in the spring, riding the timbers to the mills, you hear that same story at least a dozen times from old and young alike. It is, perhaps, the most well-known ghost story in the region. You go where the work takes you, and eventually you find yourself further west, on the main border. One warm spring night, when your crew is nearly ready to head home for the season, an old gummer visits your camp. That is, a seasoned woodsman who spends his time traversing the forest in search of resin or gum from spruce trees. He's friendly with many in the camp, and it's obvious that his appearance is a common occurrence this time of year, when he arrives to offer a bit of gum, a few stories, and some news from home in exchange for a hot meal and a roof over his head. You start chatting, and eventually the conversation turns to you. You tell him that it's your first time in the region, that you've worked mostly within the Miramichi Valley and near the Dungarvan. He nods slowly and draws on his pipe. The Dungarvan, he repeats thoughtfully. Then you must be acquainted with the Hooper. You nod. Oh yeah, you say. Pretty much everyone up there tells the story about that poor cook, Ryan, murdered by the camp boss. They say his body's buried by a spring somewhere upriver. The old man gives a confused look. The camp boss, he says. That's not how I heard it. And the Hooper haunts a lake, not a river. Dungarvan Lake in Aroostook County. It's named for one of the men who was killed there. 
He can see you're curious, as are the others gathered near the fire, so he pours himself a coffee and swirls the mug. Okay, he says. Here's how I heard the story from my granddad, round 1812 or so. Just before the war, maybe 1810, a crew of about 20 men were sent from St. John's to a little unnamed lake in Aroostook County. The deal was that they would get paid for however much lumber they could land on the lake by the end of the season. The camp boss had hired a scaler, that is, a worker who measures cut trees to determine the scale, quality, and thus the value of the lumber, to ensure that his employers kept their word. The scaler's name was Isaac Dungarvan. As expected, the mill sent their own scaler to protect their interests and ensure that Dungarvan wasn't playing loose with the numbers. This guy who was sent by the mill was smart, slick, and confident enough that he'd stand his ground if he thought he was right. And he thought he was right all the time. My grandfather couldn't remember his name, but the men in camp just called him the Spaniard. Now, it might not come as a surprise that, by all accounts, Dungarvan and the Spaniard hated each other, and the two would fight constantly as they compared their numbers each day. There was a cook, too. Not sure of his name either, but it could have been Ryan. Big guy, hated the Spaniard, and always sided with Dungarvan when the two fought. Night after night, the three of them would argue, their voices getting louder, the conversation getting more heated and more violent each time, until it was clear to everyone in camp that the men would soon reach their breaking point. They didn't have to wait long. One evening, as the crew was returning to camp, they heard screams of help and murder echo across the lake. The voice belonged to Isaac Dungarvan. The crew rushed back to camp but found it completely deserted. There was no sound, no light, just eerie, silent darkness. They lighted lanterns and looked around. All three men, Dungarvan, the cook, and the Spaniard, had vanished. Maybe they had left the camp, decided the fighting was too much and returned to town, but that seemed unlikely as their belongings were still by their bunks. The crew searched the camp, and found the first sign that this wasn't a simple desertion. It was in the bunkhouse where they found splatters of blood along the deacon's seat. More blood was found on the floor of the cookroom, but that was it. They searched the entire camp until daybreak, but found nothing else that would reveal the fate of the three men. If not for the blood, it was as if all three had simply disappeared. Theories about the men's fate became the sole topic of conversation. Some believed that the cook and Dungarvan had teamed up and killed the Spaniard in the heat of an argument, then stashed his body somewhere in the woods and ran off. But others recalled that scream they heard from across the lake and were convinced that it was Dungarvan who was yelling for help. They surmised that the Spaniard had attacked and murdered the unsuspecting cook and that Dungarvan had come across the grisly scene a short time later. He called for help and tried to fight off the Spaniard, but he too was killed. They imagined the Spaniard had somehow hid both of their bodies and then fled before the crew returned to camp. It's still a mystery, but whatever happened, neither the scaler, the Spaniard, nor the cook were ever seen or heard from again. After a few days, the three men were replaced and life went on. The incident was almost forgotten, until that same night the following week, 
The entire camp was asleep, and all was silent when suddenly a blood-curdling scream filled the bunkhouse, sending the men nearly flying out of their beds. The sound of a violent fight erupted in the center of the bunkhouse, and those who were there swore they heard the voice of Dungarvan screaming for help, and the voice of the Spaniard cursing at him between the sound of heavy blows falling again and again. The crew scrambled for their lanterns, lit the wicks, and revealed nothing. The screaming stopped the moment the light filled the room. The bunkhouse was still and silent. Nothing was there except for their own panicked faces. No one slept for the rest of the night. It happened again the following week. Terrible hoops and screams coming from an unseen struggle in the middle of the bunkhouse. The men jumped from their beds, lit their lamps, and again found nothing. But this time they had had enough. At dawn, every single member walked off the job and back to town, swearing never to return. Word of the haunting soon spread, and no human ever willingly or knowingly set foot inside that camp ever again. The lake became known as Dungarvan's Lake, and to this day, hunters, gummers, and other woodsmen traveling nearby have reported hearing terrifying screams coming from the abandoned camp, but only on the same night that the alleged murders occurred. Those who hear the scream say they have heard Dungarvan's Hooper, or Screaming Spirit, and the story is regarded as one of the greatest mysteries of the Maine woods. Chapter 3. Breakfast in Hell More time goes by, and one summer you find yourself spending the off-season in Fredericton. You stop for a drink at a bar, known as a favorite for lumberjacks and other woodsmen, and you start chatting with a fellow logger. A few beers in, the conversation turns to the bustling camps of the Miramichi Valley and, inevitably, the legendary Dungarvan Hooper. You think back to your first night in a lumber camp, years ago now, and tell him how, that night, you personally heard the Hooper's call. He leans in. Did you see it or just hear it, he asks. You shake your head and say that, as far as you know, no one has ever seen the Hooper. Not that you put much faith in ghost stories to begin with. The lumberjack puts down his glass. Ghosts? he says, slightly confused. The Hooper ain't a ghost, at least not the way I heard it. I've been up that way myself, and the old-timers there told me that the Hooper is some sort of monster or demon, even the devil himself. They told me they saw it one time, right there on the banks, near a place they now call Hooper Springs, and it spooked them so bad they refused to go back. You order another round, and he tells you the story. One spring, years ago, a crew was tasked with breaking some landings, that is, logs that are piled high on the shore, and drive them down the Dungarvan River. There were about four or five brows, or piles of logs, in each landing, and they had been stacked the previous spring, so by the time the crew got there, the logs had all settled. They were tipped over and onto each other and packed in tight, one hell of a mess that would take a lot of time and a lot of care to clean up safely. They set up their tents on the flats just above the landings and got to work. It was a dangerous job, 
And every logger knows that while you have to be tough to do that kind of work, you also have to be cautious, or else you won't be around for very long. One wrong move and you could be crushed or drowned. When dealing with landings like that, it's best to go slow and steady. But there was one man on the crew who didn't see things that way. He was a mean piece of work, stubborn, hard to get along with. He was also a walking hazard. He did things without thinking, letting his vicious temper guide his actions, taking it personally if the work didn't go as well as he'd hoped. What's more, he was known across the camps for his outrageous blasphemy. Now, there's swearing and there's cussing, and loggers certainly do their share of both. But then, there's blasphemy. Openly defying and cursing God, antagonizing the Almighty for no reason at all. And that's what he'd do. He'd curse God, challenge him to strike him down. Basically, you know this guy had it coming. One day at breakfast, he's angrily muttering to himself when he suddenly slams his fists on the table and says, I swear, I'll break that landing this morning or I'll eat my breakfast in hell. He jumps out of his seat and storms off. Well, no one can say he wasn't a dedicated worker. Back at the riverside, this guy starts in with his PV, a spiked and hooked tool that loggers use, and starts rolling off the logs one by one but not really paying attention to the chaotic way in which they're assembled, not caring that one wrong move could mean instant death. The foreman yells at him to slow down, take it easy, and pay attention, but he doesn't listen. After just a couple logs are freed, the entire thing caves in, and then the next pile underneath it, and the next, and so on, making a thunderous sound that shakes the entire forest and kicks up a huge cloud of dirt and dust. Eventually, the cloud settles and reveals that he's gone, vanished, and the logs he was hastily tearing apart now fill the entire river, stretching from one side to the other. But the rest of the crew aren't marveling at the huge number of logs in the water, or desperately looking for the man who had vanished. No, their eyes are fixed on a strange creature that has suddenly appeared near the landing. It's long and brown, with a great long tail and a round head like a man's, with an almost human-like face. On the top of its head are two short pointed horns. Many in the crew swore it was a demon. The beast leaps twenty feet through the air and lands on one of the timbers floating in the river. It leaps again and again until it reaches the opposite bank and disappears into the trees. The moment it's out of sight, there comes this awful, bone-chilling screech, what the men would later call the devil's death hoop. It was the sound, they said, that the devil makes when it claims a soul. The blasphemer's body was never found, and for many in the crew, it was clear that the devil had dragged him to hell where his breakfast was waiting. There were men in that crew who weren't scared of anything until that day. Now, every single member of that crew swears they will never return to that part of the river. They know the Hooper is still out there, prowling the woods, looking for its next victim, and hungry for souls. Chapter 4, Mad Men 
and tall tales. Decades pass in an instant, and now you are the old-timer, sharing your wisdom and experience with a new generation of loggers. A veteran of the New Brunswick wilds, you've spent your life working in different camps throughout the province, and you've seen and heard it all, including countless stories about the Dungarvan Hooper. The most popular version by far, at least in the Miramichi, is that first story, the legend of Ryan, the young cook who was murdered in cold blood by the camp boss. There are small variations. Some say that the camp was starving, and so the murderous boss chopped Ryan up and put him in the cooking pot. Claiming the meat came from freshly hunted game, he encouraged those on the crew to unknowingly consume one of their own, and thus destroy the evidence of a murder. Others say Ryan was killed not by the camp boss, but by a skilled hunter or even a rival cook. Over time, the stories about Ryan's ghost grew more colorful as well. Some said the eerie calls of the Hooper were always accompanied by the unexplained smell of frying bacon. Others claimed that the Hooper's screams were an attempt to lure the foolhardy deep into the woods and to their doom. Another legend says that Ryan was not a cook at all, but rather a jobber who lost his life attempting to break a log jam on the Dungarvan River. Similar to that previous story about the strange brown demon, Ryan is said to have been a blasphemer who swore he would clear a jam or die trying. He picked a key log from the jam and was caught in the surge. There's no strange monster in this story, however. Instead, Ryan's bruised and bloodied body was found downriver, and his ghost was said to rise from that spot each night to hoop in anguish and regret. Then there are some who say the Hooper was a crazed hermit who lived in a cave near the river in the early 1870s. Dubbed the Clearwater Hooper by a New York newspaper, it was said that he traipsed through the woods barefoot and nearly naked, with nothing but a rusty axe, a tattered coat, and a Catholic Bible, living off berries, nuts, frogs, and pond grass. Rumored to be a man, quote, whose mind had been unhinged by religion, end quote, Stories said that he was responsible for the bone-chilling hoops that the loggers heard at night. It was also said he would lurk in the shadows and let out an ear-splitting hoop that would upset horses and make the loggers jump, then cackle maniacally before scampering away into the trees. Whatever the hooper is, a tormented spirit, a mysterious creature, a crazy hermit, or something else entirely, by the early 1900s, the legend is widely known throughout the Northeast United States and the Maritimes. The Hooper's ubiquity, combined with its uncanny ability to be heard but never seen, has inspired many new tall tales that add to the legend a bit of levity by focusing not on what the Hooper is, but what it does. Stories abound, often told with a slight grin, about how the invisible Hooper snatched a number of potatoes from a boiling pot of water and consumed them in full view of the dumbfounded victim. He could only sit there in shocked silence as the water rippled around the Hooper's invisible hand, or claw, and the potatoes floated one by one out of the pot and through the air. They hesitated near, presumably, the Hooper's invisible mouth, then disappeared in bite-sized chunks. Reportedly, the Hooper screamed after each potato was consumed. Other accounts tell how the Hooper chased men up trees, 
apparently it's well known that the Hooper can't climb, and proceeded to steal their lunch, from the fatty pork boiling in a kettle to the biscuits intended for afternoon tea. By 1910, it became a common inside joke among the region's lumberjacks to blame every random inconvenience on the Hooper, especially when that inconvenience just so happened to affect a rookie lumberjack. Did the new guy's tools go missing? The Hooper took them. Was the last piece of peach pie eaten before the new guy could get a slice? The Hooper ate it. Was the new guy's bunk stripped of sheets and in complete disarray when he returned in the evening? Ah, must have been the Hooper. You return to camp after a long day in the swamp and spot a small container of spruce gum poking out from its hiding spot near the new guy's bunk. You chuckle as you slip the box into your pocket. Later, at supper, you hear the new guy complaining that his spruce gum has somehow gone missing. You lean forward. Missing, you say. You look around and see the other old-timers grin. You continue. Hmm. Eh, must have been the hooper. You take some of the stolen spruce gum from your pocket. Here, you say. You can have some of mine. The young man takes the gum and thanks you. Then, after a moment, he asks, What's a hooper? You widen your eyes in disbelief. You've never heard of the Dungarvan hooper? Well, let me tell you the tale. By now, it's clear that the Dungarvan hooper has been a lot of things to a lot of people throughout the years. But over time, one story has risen above the rest. Today, if you ask anyone who is familiar with the Hooper, it's likely that they'll tell you something very similar to that first story, a tale about an unfortunate camp cook named Ryan who was murdered by a greedy camp boss and whose tormented spirit rose from the grave and filled the forest with its blood-chilling cries. If you've heard my past episodes, you know the question that's coming next. Is there any truth to the legends? Was something actually stalking the woods of northern New Brunswick, and is the spirit or ghost or creature still there today? That will have to wait until the next episode, when I'll share my own version of the definitive story and then explore its history and its geography as we try to uncover the true nature of the Dungarvan Hooper. That's it for now. Thank you so much for listening and for joining me in becoming part of a Canadian folk tradition. Now that you know these stories, share them. And remember, next time you hear a strange sound in the forest, it's probably just a harmless animal and you have nothing to fear. Probably. Fireside Canada is written and recorded by me, David Williams. Sound design and mixing is by Ryan Clark. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider giving this podcast a positive review. If you want to help even further, you can support me through my website. Every little bit helps to keep the fire burning and the library of legends growing. Learn more at firesidecanada.ca.